everyone and to be able to be here in the uh, church to be able to worship and honor our Lord and be able to uh, see him do a great work today in all of our hearts and respond. Uh, so we're looking forward to what God is going to show us and the, the guys when they put me in the all the mic stuff they always normally ask if we have uh, a title. And so the title today is uh, How to Achieve Unity in the Church. How to Achieve Unity in the Church. It'll be three easy lessons on... <laughs> Anybody get that? I don't know if you did or not. Uh, three easy lessons on how to have unity in the church. And it's important that we go over this. It's uh, because it's such an uh, important subject uh, that our Lord and the Word of God makes very, very clear. So um, if we're going to think about achieving unity in the church, you know, you can, you can correlate it to also not just unity in the church, but you can correlate it to unity in the family. I mean, because they're... The family, uh, if I just don't think, unless I'm just sadly mistaken, I just don't think there's a husband and a wife that agree 100% all the time on everything. I, I mean, if they do, I, you know, I haven't met them yet. And, um, and you know, you, you fall in love and you... And you get married and you look up and you realize something has happened. You've married a human being. And that person has a, a mind, will, and emotions of their own. And you have to work together and strive together to accomplish uh, what God wants you to accomplish. But it, there, there are some steps, some things, some principles, if you will, there's some things that everybody needs to know how to get along a little bit better. But for the church, the church, I just think that we need to be concerned. There, well, there's three basic, you know, if you listen to my messages for 47 plus years, they're going to they're gonna be all kind of wrapped up in certain areas. One is I have a real heart to see people saved. I really love to see people get saved. I love to hear when people get saved. In fact, I know I've told you all this a time or two, but when I was still with the Houston Police Department, I, I did, I mean, we wrote up, we had printed some brochures and I mailed out brochures and I bought my, you know, my uh, leisure suit and my white floor shine uh, shoes so I could be an evangelist. And I really thought I was going to be an evangelist. And I, I could just see me going around from church to church, preaching salvation in my white shoes and my leisure suit. So does he, any of y'all, are y'all awake today? I mean, do you get it? Do you, does anybody even remember leisure suits? Some of you are not old enough to even understand what a leisure suit is, but it's what preachers used to wear a lot. I mean, in fact, I think I, yeah, some of you will remember, I was, we were going to a preacher's conference in Dallas, Jerry Wood and I, and we were going 
to the Colosseum. And all these preachers from all over the country are coming, and we're going there to be preached to. And Jerry was a real cut-up. I mean, he was just a big cut-up. And so we're walking along like fast, trying to get to, you know, inside. And then he just stopped, and he said, wait, wait, I can't go in. I forgot my leisure suit. I mean, so it was just a big, big, big thing during that day. And so, you know, I bought my white shoes and leave. I really thought I was going to be a full-time evangelist, and that didn't work out. But uh, it's important that we have, as a church, we have a desire to see that that should be a goal that we, yes, we want the church to be fed. We do believe in discipleship but we want to see people saved. And I just know that over the last, what would you say, four weeks when you had the other group and then you had the group yesterday, all these different groups over the last month, I would predict that probably more lost people have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ on church property in the last month than any time I can remember. I mean, these are people that are, that are lost and without Christ, and, the, and we've made the facilities available so that the people can present the gospel and at least they have an opportunity to hear and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so 82 yesterday, 82 plus 25 workers or so, and so there, that's, that's a lot of people hearing the gospel. So we ought to be concerned as a church that sinners need a Savior, and His name is Jesus Christ. It's not by works, but He is the spotless Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And the Bible is very clear, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, you know, I don't want to be too graphic or too, but you have to be aware if you don't have your head buried in the sand where you're unaware of anything going on around you, you have to be aware if you notice anything about the news that's out there, people are unexpectedly dying every day, every day. You hear, I mean, there was, I forgot what country it was, that a bridge collapsed and 151 people died. I mean, a stampede in Seoul, Korea, or wherever it was, and, you know, a bunch of people died. I mean, I'm telling you, people, and they're out for just a good time. They're out having a, an enjoyable time with their family or whatever, with friends, and something happens and they end up dying. It, it doesn't, you don't have to be ancient and old and, you know, decrepit and like, you know, well, we expect them to die sometime. These are young people. These are middle aged. These are people that, that didn't anticipate that this would be the day that they would meet their maker. They just didn't have a clue that today would be the day that they would die. So children die, youth die, young adults die, married couples die. I, I saw uh, something that I had read, I think it was last year, but I saw that uh, this couple got married, got in their car, went out, and they were both killed in the car wreck. I mean, they had just gotten married. And so it happens, and it can happen unexpectedly. Mark Daigle, our builder, 
for the one that built our house, 59 years old, had cancer, unexpectedly cancer, and he died. Folks, we ought to be trying to make sure as the Spirit leads us that every single person possible, and I do believe it needs to be Spirit-led, but we need to be giving folks the gospel and be making them aware of their need for Christ. So that's the church. That's every Christian. That's We should be preaching and teaching and, and, and allowing God to use us. And this is not just, and, I, and I'm so thankful for our church. I am so thankful that we understand it's not just for preachers and it's just not for the missionaries, but it's the lay folks that are out there doing it. And we're so grateful. And, and Cepeda's, we just, just say thank you so much. And the Bakers and everyone that was involved, Cindy McCafferty and different ones that were involved in all of this outreach that's going on and taking place. And so, uh, but this is every born again believer. And I have to ask, I mean, how long, you know, we get, we statistically, how long has it been, we have to ask ourselves, that we've even given someone a gospel tract? I mean, how long has it been? I mean, I know you did the million dollar thing and all, but how long has it been since you've actually handed somebody? You know, and I've been led to hand tracts out to people, and I've been amazed at how many of them have not reacted, and they've actually taken them and looked at it and said, you know, I'll try to read this. So, we need to be aware and urged and encouraged to allow the Lord to use us every opportunity that he opens up for us to share Christ. Now, so that's on evangelism. That's on the lost needing a savior. And I'm so grateful that, that we are now saved sinners, okay? The second area that I like to focus on a lot is on trials. I always think about trials and the challenges that we all face. We all have them. Uh, I don't think that we all always talk about our personal trials, but we all have our trials. And God uses those, since all things work together for good, God uses those trials to conform us. And He will do whatever, I'm just convinced, He will do whatever's necessary to conform us to the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's important that we uh, understand and that we, um, that we teach on the fact that all of us will experience some form of trial. All of us. No one in this building or is listening will be exempt. I mean, everybody has their trials. And so... It's important that we respond, understand. Uh, it's like my wife and I were discussing it as, as we're discussing a trial. We're talking about the importance of passing the test. In other words, God allows it. He permits it. He's allowed to come into our lives. All things work together for good for them that love Christ and love God. So we, 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 we've had the trial. We have the trials. And it's come and it's a test, and we want to pass the test with a good attitude, with a good response. And so it's important that we see, and as I mentioned here just not many Sundays ago, that we need to see everything from the hand of God. Everything that comes our way, we need to see it as from the hand of God and receive it. 
from his hand. But today, I'd like to spend the remainder of the time on another uh, exciting topic, something that uh, is near and dear to my heart, and it's about how to promote unity in the church. And, uh, and Aaron, I was quite impressed last week when you preached, and it was so outlined so beautifully on unity uh, and how important unity is. I believe that God places a high premium on unity in the church and in the family. I'm just absolutely convinced that we need to spend more time understanding the importance of unity in the church and uh, living the life that God wants to live. My wife actually uh, made a comment that, you know, maybe we need some practical steps on unity. So, the first, and this is not a whole, I mean, there's no way in 40 minutes to cover all the areas, but let's take a couple here, about four or so. Uh, number one, the first step to unity that we apply Scripture, we understand Scripture, that we need, and if you would, turn in your Bibles to uh, John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And the first area is that we are to demonstrate the love that we have for each other. There should be a way for the church to set the example about loving each other. And so uh, 1334 and 35, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another. Now, this is not a suggestion and uh if you look at the original language, the word commandment, this is not, well, if you feel like it, or if you uh, think it's a good idea, or if you, you know, are in the mood. Now, this is a commandment, a commandment from God himself that I give unto you that you love one another. You're command we're commanded to love one another. As I, and in the word of God, exciting, love as I have loved you. Now, can we just be really honest with each other? Is there anybody in this room that really believes that you love each other as we've been loved? You know, my experience has been for believers, and it's sad, it's a sad testimony, but believers are very easy to cut each other off. Very easy to cut each other off. And what if God treated us the way we've treated each other for, throughout the years? What if God said, okay, you've crossed that line. There's the line, and you crossed it. Zappo, boom, gone. You're out of here. What? That's, I mean, and we all, we all have relationships in our past that we've just grown further and further apart. 
And, and some of it is sad. Some of it is because we really believe we're justified in our, in our belief system or whatever it is. But, but the, the gap is wider and wider. And it, bra- it breaks my heart to see church members and believers going through just cutting each other off. And it, and it, if, if, since I'm human and it affects me in the slightest way, can you imagine how it affects our Heavenly Father? He said, I command you to love each other as I have loved you. Now, folks, we're, we're going to have to go a long way. And I think the closest, I think the closest really is husband and wife. I really do believe the closest that we can get is husband and wife. Because at the end of the day, we ought to agree and understand that no matter what our differences are, we really do love each other. And this is what we've said, you know, 52 years of marriage. I just have to tell you, I just thought I loved her in 1970. But I mean, it's just, there's no comparison to the love that I had then and the love that I have today. It's just grown and grown and grown and grown and increased. And I mean, to the point that you can really look at each other and say, we're not only husband and wife, we are best friends. There's nobody I'd rather be with than my wife for anything. And uh, so... It's important to understand this love. So a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I has loved you, as I've loved you, that you also love one another. Now, the importance, and again, this goes back to the first point that I made about the loss being needing to be saved. By this... By what? By the love that we have for one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one to another. I have a burden. I have a genuine concern. I believe it's valid. I believe it's scriptural. I believe that the church can either be like a honeycomb and attract lost sinners because of our love for each other, because the difference that people see, or we can be like a cactus. And we can, we can be, you know, can't even get close to you. Because, look, from, from God's perspective, and He is saying these scriptures to each one of us, that we're to love one another as I have loved you. And by this, by our love for one another, all men will know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. Do you believe, honestly, in the last 12 or 15 months in our church congregation that lost people on the outside would sit back and say, man, I am drawn to Christianity because what I'm seeing out of the membership of North Belt. I mean, I just don't... We have to be honest with ourselves. We have to be honest with ourselves. With all the wagging of the tongue and all the sowing seeds of discord and all the junk and the garbage. And as one man told me, you know, and this was a few years back, but he, I mean, he called me up on the phone and, or made it, I don't know if it's here or on the phone, but he said, 
I can't worship under the same roof with those people. I mean, you're going to spend all eternity with each other. You're going to spend all eternity with each other. Can you honestly look somebody in the eye and say, I can't worship? I mean, what is wrong with that picture? What is wrong? Do we agree with everything? Absolutely not. Are we ever going to agree on everything? Absolutely not. But at the end of the day, don't you think lost people need to say, man, there's something different about those people. There's something different. I think I want to go there. We've got a visitor here today. He needs to know. He needs to see. And I've had personal conversations with him. And he needs to see this church loving each other, even though, like a husband and wife, we may not agree 100%. I mean, my wife likes Italian. And she just, she just said the other day, she said, Rod, I honestly believe you could eat Mexican food every day. She, I mean, she did. And so, I tell you, the other day, I was being so spiritual. We were on our way home, and we stopped at the Olive Garden in Huntsville. <laughs> and then sometimes we'll even call ahead and we'll order their chicken gnocchi soup in, by the gallon, and we'll eat it for three days. And I'm trying, you see, I'm trying to balance out all the Mexican food that I've, I'm eating because we've already had, I think, this week, we might have had it four times, but it was, we, we eat some, we do eat leftovers. I know some people don't eat leftovers, but we eat leftovers. So if, you know, if you can split a meal, then you eat it two times. But we're, we're going to have different views in, in a marriage relationship. And folks, wake up in church. We're going to be, have some different ideas about some things. We're going to have different opinions. But I think the key when, we, when we're talking about differences, the key should be able to express our thoughts. We should at the right time. There's a right time to express, you know, I've got, a, I've got something I need to discuss with you. There's a right time. Same in a marriage, right? You don't ever, ever, ever. Wives, don't you know this? You know, you know this. You never bring up the checkbook or some big sale when your husband is hungry and on empty stomach, you always feed him first. Then you subtly bring up those things, these expenditures that you feel like you need to have. So there's a right time. There's a right tone. There's a right tone. There's a right attitude. There's a right attitude about, you know, I mean, people can read each other. They can read, you know, whether you're mad, angry, or trying to, you know, make a point, you know, and so right time, right tone, right attitude. And then you give that and learn, it's, uh, I think it's a learned process, learn to give those appeals to the person that's going to have the final decision. And they should be a person that is the final decision maker, the husband or whatever, needs to be willing to listen and be open to other people's points of view and ideas. 
I mean, it, it, you, you really, I think husbands, I think you're wrong if you just shut everything down and say it's my way or the highway. You know, you really need to be, have a listening ear and to say, and, and hear the appeal. You need to hear it. You're going to have different views. Uh, you're going to reach different conclusions. But what do you do? How do you do that? And how you accomplish certain goals. But the Christian's love for each other should be greater. It should be stronger. It should be more important than me getting my way. Or getting a plan of action that I suggested. Showing love for one another. I think loving each other is more important than being right. Loving each other is more important. Demonstrating to the lost people is more important than being right. Learning how to appeal. And wives, this is so key. You make the appeal to your husband. You make that appeal. You leave it in the hands of the Lord. And then you just pray without ceasing and trust the Lord to make a heart change in your husband. And that we've seen that over and over and over again. Uh, and we've personally experienced it where we can say the appeal was made. It was left at my feet. And then you pray and you pray without ceasing and you trust God. That's where your ability to trust God, trust God to change a heart. And he's very capable. He's much better at making heart changes than we are. I mean, we, we, we kind of know how to strong arm people, but it's really the best result. The best way is not when I force myself, but when God puts the pressure and God does it. I've seen this over the years. It seems like when people finally force their way and get their way, that the relationships between the individuals are never really the same after that. But I'm going to tell you, when God does the work, when God makes the change, you've made the appeal, God's made the change, God's done a work in the person's heart, then he's working in both cases and working in the one that made the appeal, working in the one that's making the decision. And so, and, and the spirit is having free reign to accomplish his will in, in a situation. And I just, I just want to remind us as a church, God is very capable. He is more than capable of being able to accomplish his will and his plan. And uh, we need to learn somehow to leave things at his feet and to be able to say at the end of the day, God answered my prayer. God did this. God opened. You know, we talk about this all the time. We can go through the Christian life kicking down doors or we can go through the Christian life walking through doors that God has opened. And I'm going to tell you, that's a better way to live. When God opens a door and you don't feel like you've had to force it down, kick it down, and, uh, and when God is in control of it and God changes the heart, then God gets all the glory and it's much better. 
I want to read it to you again because I don't think you can wear the word of God out. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. We have to ask ourselves that question. Are we really loving each other the way we've been loved by our Heavenly Father? And I think the ultimate goal would be for lost people to see the love of Christ shining forth throughout the church because they're watching and they are listening and they're keeping an eye on us. And I believe, I personally believe their souls are at stake. I really believe this is important enough. The, their souls are at stake. Not, and I've said this before and you've heard me. I'm not saying when they stand before God, well, I didn't come to Christ because of so-and-so. That's not going to hold water. But I don't want to be ever named as the church that caused somebody to say, I didn't want to come to Christ because of all that was going on. So it's important that we love lost souls enough that we love each other the way we have been loved by our Heavenly Father. And I do believe there'll be a real work I think there'll be a real work. And we're seeing some things. We're seeing some exciting things uh, with people, with the open doors that have been opened and God's opening them and, and they're coming and it's really miraculous. I mean, it's miraculous to hear the stories of the people that are hearing the gospel. All right, so that's the first point. Second point is to deny yourself. And this has to do with uh, following Christ. So I'm going to flip over to Matthew 16, if you will. Matthew 16, 24. And it's a principle. It's a principle in the Word of God that we deny ourselves. We, it's very hard to do to feel like that I've got to always think more of the other person than I do myself. Because, listen, whether we want to admit it or not, we're living in a very selfish me generation. We're living in a very selfish me generation. And we could say and argue all day long, well, but I'm not in that. Well, we need to de demonstrate by denying ourselves. So that's the second. Uh, and it's found in Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, in other words, you want to be a follower of Christ? Come after me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I'm going to make a prediction that if every marriage, both parties, husband, male, and female, denied ourselves, you'd never have another argument. You would, never, you would never argue again because you would not be demanding that your way needs to be done. Now, there's another, several verses, and I'm not going to be able to give them all to you, but it's found in Philippians 2, verse 4. Look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, denying ourselves, thinking more of others than we do ourselves. And it's a principle. It's a principle. We, we did it years and years ago. No will of my own. And we even tried to quote it and say it back and forth to each other. No will of my own. But I'm going to tell you what, that's a hard line to, to really mean that I don't have a will of my own. Deny myself. Think more of others than I do myself. We are blood-bought vessels of God. We're clay in the potter's hands. Jesus himself in Luke twenty-two forty-two, prayed in the garden, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Not my own will. I don't have to get my way. No will of my own, but consider the other person yielding our rights. We can all, you know, stand firm. I've got rights. And God is saying, yield your rights. Yield. Think more of others. Think, think of the bigger cause. And I'm throwing out to the church today, the bigger cause is I'm thinking lost people's souls are at stake. And I don't know what bigger cause it could be. We really, really need to consider what's at stake here. Just me being right or lost people coming to salvation and spending all eternity in heaven because of their faith in Christ. The whole principle, the truth of Jesus dying on the cross in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Luke 9, 23, and he said to them, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Conflicts are going to come. Differing opinions are going to happen. It's just going to happen. It's the nature of who we are. But it's going to, it really depends and the end result is going to have to depend on the maturity level of those involved. I, am I going to insist on my way, my will, or am I looking at the bitter, bigger picture and willing to say, Lord, there's something more here at stake than just me getting my way. I have no will of my own. It's easier to leave the results with God when we yield our rights. Now, and there are other so many passages. Turn, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, verse 1, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another, forbearance, 
forbearing one another, putting up with some things, endeavoring to keep the unity, endeavoring. You can look that word up. It means actually to work hard at. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Doesn't mean it's going to come easy. Doesn't mean that it's going to be something that, that you know, would just be like, you know, easy peasy. But it is something that we need to work out together. We ought to keep this foremost in our minds. Endeavoring to keep the unity in, of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So it's important to understand that we've, we've got to come to the place. We say we believe the Bible. We say we, we really believe the infallible word of God. But if we're not obeying simple truth that is there it's this is not open for debate i mean this part this is not open for debate i mean there are there are doctrines that churches split over whether it's free will or um election churches and denominations split over these kind of things this is not up for debate God makes it very clear. We're to love each other the way we've been loved, and we are to endeavor to keep the unity in the body. That means we're going to have to work at it. So we agree with the Word of God. We need to agree with the Word of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that strife and division is unscriptural. In fact, it's the picture of a carnal church. When there's strife and disunity and, and division, it's a picture of carnality. You want to see what carnality looks like? You want to see what a Christian walking like a mere man looks like? You just walk into a church that's got debate and arguing and strife going on, and that's what carnality looks like. And it's sad, and it breaks my heart that some people have lived in these conditions in their homes so long, they just think that's the norm. And you know what? After pastoring churches and, and little churches, five churches now, country churches, little church, you know what? There are some churches that they just think, you know, church splits. That's just part of being in church. They, they, don't, they don't know. They don't understand. They've never experienced what a real loving church is really like. So in their minds, they've got it figured out. This is just church. Get used to it. This is what it's supposed to be. And this is what it's always been. And this is what we, I stand, I stand against that. I stand and say, we need to follow the word of God. And division and strife is not a part of the Christian church. And when, it, when you see it, then you've described carnality. So, on the last point, I think a lot can be resolved in our situation if we'll follow those first three steps of obeying the Word of God is the last one. But number four is understanding there's real freedom when you understand jurisdiction. There have been people that get upset over things that they have no reason to get upset over. It's not in their area. It's not in their jurisdiction. 
uh, I think a very uh, clear uh, situation is where you have parents, you have grown kids, they get up, get married, and say the kids, the kids have their children and then they're raising them in a way that you might not approve of 100%. Well, the main thing, is, number one, I just don't believe that we need to be going to them and telling them how they've done wrong. That's where you just pray and talk to the Lord. And if they, that's called, we call that, Linda and I call that unsolicited advice. If they're not asking for help or they're not asking for your thoughts, I really think you're crossing the line when you give it to them without being invited in. And all God's people said, amen. And that's really true. That's really true. Unsolicited advice. Listen, every single person would say, I probably would do a few things differently with my kids if I had it to do over again. And I, I'd probably be just as strict and, and, and all, but I, I, I know I would do some things differently. I would, I would make some changes. And none of us would say that would probably not say, oh, I'd do everything exactly the same. But I'm not saying loosen up on you know, protection or, or uh, being careful with their little minds and protecting them from, you know, wrong music and wrong uh, things on television and stuff I, and wrong friends. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying, there might be some changes in procedures and, you know, just being able to express your love to them in a way is, I think, very needed and very powerful. But understanding jurisdiction they're just things that I know of people get upset over things that are really not in their area of jurisdiction. And it's a lot of wasted energy and a lot of wasted effort when you're dealing and battling in something that's really not yours. And so it's important to understand that there's freedom in understanding the principle of jurisdiction. And then last of all, ask for forgiveness. Husbands and wives, I think it's important that we learn how to humble ourselves and go to our wives, go to our, if your wife, go to your husband and learn how to ask for forgiveness. I just wonder, as church members, if people have had things happen and been offended, how many, how long has it been, has, has it been since You've asked somebody for forgiveness and you've really been sincere about it. You said, you know, I'm really sorry that was unchristlike. And so it's important that we keep that going, that we ask each other for forgiveness. And I believe, you know, they had the, what do they call those lay weekends where lay renewals, where they would have a whole weekend uh, in Baptist churches where they would try to get everybody unified and everybody all fired up and, you know, getting to be lovey-dovey and hugging each other. And, you know, they'd spend a whole weekend trying to get people to, to get right with each other. Well, I've spent a lifetime. I've spent a lifetime trying to encourage people to respond to the Word of God and be right with each other. And you've got to admit, you've got to admit, this has been a consistent message from this pulpit for me because that's my heart. I think it's the heart of the Father. I believe it's the heart of the Father. Now, there's some debate about what I'm about to do next. That'll get your attention. Because I have prided myself, if you will, 
in not doing this and not using the toaster oven. But I intentionally did something today to get your attention. Intentionally. As I was praying about the week and praying about the message, I got out an old stack of sermons and I found an old sermon. I just preached an old sermon. This is not, I might have added a few things about the cepedas, about this stuff, but I, I preached to you folks today something that was preached over a year ago, almost word for word. So if anybody's sitting here thinking, he's just preaching right at me because, I mean, that it fits our situation. No, that was a year old sermon. And I don't think the message has changed. My heart hadn't changed. I really believe God wants a unified church. And I really expect mature believers to lead the way. I would encourage you today to examine relationships, sowing seeds of discord, spending time yakking about each other and criticizing and taking sides and being part of division and sowing seeds of discord. We need to examine that and get it right. We're going to have the Lord's Supper this afternoon. And I would encourage you to be right before we partake in the Lord's Supper. So let's pray. And I, I think all I can say is this is why I get paid the big bucks. To make critical decisions at the right time, pulling out an old... This is maybe the third time in 47 years I've done this. And my wife and I talked about it on the way and she said, well, you'll be criticized for just popping one in the toaster. No, I think it was so relevant. And so real that some of you say, you know, man, he's not preaching right at me. Nothing's changed. He preached that over a year ago. It was actually June the 20th of 2021. I've got the date on it. June the 20th of 21 when I preached that sermon. We have a responsibility before God to respond to the word of God and trust God to make things right in our own hearts and I just I anticipate God will do a great work. I'm trusting him to do that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the way that you continue to work, the way that you continue to show us truth and yourself. And uh, what an amazing thing that your message, your word does never change. And we have a responsibility as hearers of the word that we should be doers of the word. We should respond to what the Holy Spirit has prompted in us today, and not argue, not fight, not discuss, not debate. We need to get right with you. And I trust you, Father, to accomplish your will and bring honor and glory to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.